is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. L.A. County Supervisor Sheila Kuhl goes on the offensive, slamming the search of her home by sheriff's investigators as a politically motivated act by the sheriff himself, Alex Villanueva, who's had several conflicts with the Board of Supervisors. A court affidavit shows the search is connected to non-competitive contracts awarded by Metro to a nonprofit organization run by a friend of Kuhl's. We will go in-depth to sort this out with the sheriff. Working from home, higher rent, sky-high home prices, just some of the impact that the pandemic has had around the USA. We'll look into the results of a big new survey, and Russia and China are getting closer. Their two leaders met today with one criticizing the United States. New study finds a positive impact on brain health through a daily multivitamin. Could the death of Queen Elizabeth lead to less interest from Hollywood and the American public about the British royal family? And then we'll end the show by talking to a radio legend. Most people here probably have not heard of until now, but he's been at the same radio station in the Midwest for 44 years. Yeah. Pat Powers, master storyteller. He's going to share what he's seen during his time. Interesting guy. Yeah. We start, though, with the investigation and search of Supervisor Sheila Kuhl's home. With us now is L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva. Sheriff, thank you for being back with us. Uh, let me first start off by, by reading you a, a statement from Kuhl, who we did ask, by the way, to join us on, on the show, but she apparently had other uh, engagements. She says the basis of this search was questionable and will be investigated. She uh, then says this was an effort to harass, intimidate, and retaliate against a public figure who has been an outspoken critic of uh, L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who, of course, is you. Now, I'm not an idiot, Sheriff, so I'm not going to ask you whether or not this was a vendetta on your part, because I suspect your answer is going to be no, it's not. But I'm sure you're aware that there's a public perception, at least among some of the public, that perhaps it is. Well, I can tell you this. Three... uh... When McDonald was in office, my predecessor, the board authored three motions that were perceived to be negative against the sheriff's department. In my time in office, that number's up to 54. And those are actions of the board attacking the sheriff's department or attacking me specifically as sheriff, up to and including putting an unconstitutional measure on the ballot to give them the authority to remove me from office. Now, if you don't want, you want to talk about vendettas or using your public office for political gain, that is it right there. We are following the law to the T. We get a complaint, a criminal complaint. We take action on it. If it's inconvenient to the political elite, I don't care about that because we treat everyone the same. There are no two sets of rules here, which is what she seems to want. The DA says that they took a look at this last year, didn't find enough evidence to do anything with it, that there was no communication between them and you guys, this investigative team, up until now, they're not going to defend this warrant if it's challenged. So if you don't have the prosecutors on your side for this one, then take me back to how this is not just about optics. Uh, not at all, because we never assumed the prosecution, at least with Gascon in office, was going to be on the side of uh, following the rule of law. When the case is concluded, we're going to present it to the appropriate prosecutorial uh, agency. It's probably going to be the attorney general's office at a minimum, but... The DA has already disqualified himself for being able to competently rule on this matter. So when the election comes and goes, presuming that you're you're reelected, uh, I presume this investigation will continue. If you're not, is this going to go away? Um, well, that's exactly what they want. They want it to all go away and they want to continue 
contracting out, doing the shady deals behind closed doors where there's no accountability, there's no transparency. Remember, those are the two favorite words of the Board of Supervisors against me as sheriff about a lack of accountability and lack of transparency. We posted the entire search warrant online so everybody could see for themselves what the evidence is on the case. And everyone really doesn't want to, the same crowd is criticizing, doesn't really want to talk about the facts of the case because it's not convenient for their argument. We're going to stick to the facts and the rule of law. When it comes to credibility, though, does this public corruption unit of yours have credibility? They've looked at a number of things, and the charge has always been from from people who are not in the department that they're only going after your political enemies, and there hasn't been anything really to show for it. So what's what comes of this? Oh, I'd say that's absolutely bogus. This is not their first uh, dance, for starters. They've done many cases already. And the cases have been presented to the AG. They've been presented to the feds. And, uh, in fact, we've had 11 different cases from other agencies requesting us to do investigations of their, you know, criminal matters within their organization. And this is another prime example. But this is literally a public corruption unit that became a victim of county public corruption when they leaked the, the search warrant. You know, Sheriff, I'm sure you know there there are all kinds of polls out there uh, that show that the public has just had uh, enough. They're fed up with all kinds of agencies, government agencies, law enforcement agencies, political agencies, you name it. They just don't have a stomach for it much anymore. And uh, I'm wondering if you're concerned, whatever the right or wrong is in this particular case that you're mounting uh, against Sheila Kuehl, if you're not concerned that the the sort of optics that Mike referred to before, the optics that are seen here doesn't kind of add to the public disgust of all government agencies, including your own. People are tired of the drama. Yeah. I know. I agree with it. People are tired of the drama, but they are tired of also being ripped off as taxpayers. You spend six and a half billion dollars on the homeless industrial complex. You see it double in size. And what are they worried about? Continuing awarding uh, non-competitive contracts and 501c3s getting enriched off of this all this largesse of taxpayer dollars. And crime continues to mount. Department continues to be defunded. People are tired of the same old, same old, and the same faces in office, career politicians. Notice this. I'm the only one here was not a career politician. I came into office to do a job. That's exactly what I'm doing. These people know how to protect themselves. They know how to leverage all of county government and to basically amount a smear campaign of any honest effort that the sheriff's department is doing, but the facts speak for themselves. L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva. Sheriff, thanks for coming on. Right now, though, a big Census Bureau survey details how life has changed for people across the country since the pandemic started. Among the findings was that the number of people working from home tripled. Home prices, well, we all know that, shot up. And the percentage of people who spent more than a third of their income on rent, well, that's also way up. Tom Vogel is an economics professor at UC San Diego. He focuses on development, demographics, and health. Tom, thanks for being with us. So we have been wondering for the past couple of years now with this pandemic, what sort of long-lasting, perhaps profound changes the pandemic has wrought on uh, the USA. And this is really the first, I think, reliable look from the Census Bureau on what's happened. And I'm not sure if it's a good or bad picture. What is it? Um, Thanks for having me 
Hey, on first of all, um, I'd say that um, uh, it it is pretty much spot on to what many of us expected. Um, so you know, there were actually a lot of things that were quite stable. You know, household sizes didn't change very much. Marriages well, were similarly stable to to before. And the the big picture thing that changed um, is that lots more folks are are working from home. And this is this is one version of the number for how much that's increased. Okay, so those were some things that we thought were going on. There were some others that we kind of predicted that maybe didn't pan out. You mentioned the household size. We thought there was going to be like this baby boom, but then that didn't really happen, right? And then there was also the story like everyone's fleeing the cities and going somewhere else. Did that actually happen or no? Yeah, well, so people moved some, but, you know, a big thing in the pandemic is that it was really hard to move around. Um, so there, there actually hasn't been an increase in, in uh, overall mobility, although for sure, you know, uh, well-off households in the cities uh, tended to move out, uh, although that's, that's not in this report. But, you know, the, the baby boomer thing, that has been sort of interesting because there were, Mike's right, there were many predictions. And we had some of those uh, people on the show uh, during the, the height of the pandemic who did predict that, oh, we're going to emerge from this. With this whole, you know, baby boom kind of thing, pandemic boomers, you know, that sort of thing. What do we think happened? I mean, was it just that people stuck in their houses with their spouses realized they didn't like them enough to have sex? Uh, well, that I certainly can't can't say that wasn't going on. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, uh, we know from past recessions that people tend to tend to be more likely, more, sorry, tend to be less likely to have kids uh, when there's a lot of economic uncertainty. And, you know, when COVID hit, a lot of people were uncertain about a lot of things in their lives. Um, and I think that that slowed down birth rates, not to mention that childcare was a complete mess, you know. Um, so, yeah, if anything, births slowed down uh, and then have since resumed their sort of uh, previous downward trend, um, you know, that we've been on for a decade or more. With this amount of people, these numbers working from home, is it going to be hard for some of these businesses to to bring people back in unless they really mandate it and say, nope, this is the rule, you're coming back, and that's the final? It's sort of an interesting question what's going to happen. So some recent research shows that uh, many uh, that sort of in, in workers who work in industries where they could work from home, um, they're willing to give something like a 5% uh, uh, pay cut uh, to, to work from home. Um, so, so there's something in it for employers, too, um, and there may be productivity gains in it, too. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the numbers are definitely uh, are definitely sticking at a much, much higher level than we had before the pandemic. You know, when you're in the middle of things, they always look like they're going to last forever. Uh, and then sometimes when you look back five, 10 years later, you go, oh, uh, I didn't even remember that happening. Now, we're all going to remember the pandemic, I suspect. But how much of these changes do you think will be long lasting and how many do you think in another four, five, six years, people are going to kind of not even remember it? So, you know, I'm, I tend to be skeptical of big changes. Um, I tend to think that things are going to stay like, they, like they've been for a long time. Uh, but I've become convinced that this work from home trend is really going to, is really going to change the way labor markets work. Um, it's pretty clear. So, so, you know, this is one, we get one number of about 18% people primarily working from home now as opposed to 5% in 2019. But there are other surveys that show, you know, the skyrocket in work from home up to about 60% at the height of the pandemic. Um, and it has sort of since then leveled off at 30% 30, uh, 30 of people, uh, sorry, 30% of work days uh, uh, being worked from home. So that's a little different from people versus days. And so, you know, a big thing going forward is how workplaces are going to adjust to this new trend of hybrid work, you know, where you work some days at home, some days in the office and so on. 
And that seems like it's it's likely to stick around. Tom Vogel, economics professor, UC San Diego. And a little bit later on, we are going to take you to Iowa for the last part of the show. Now, why Iowa? Well, we're going to chat with a radio news icon who has been at the same station there for 44 years now and counting. Pat Powers has plenty of stories to share with all of us, and we will pick his brain. That's a great name, too. I know, Pat Powers. Pat Powers. I like that. Right now, though, Russia and China might be getting closer to each other. Vladimir Putin met with China's President Xi Jinping today in Uzbekistan. Putin says he was ready to discuss concerns by China about Ukraine and slammed U.S. policies as ugly. Joe Dressen, Senior Program Associate at the Kennan Institute on Russia and the U.S. at the Wilson Center. Joe, thanks for being here. So I was listening to some commentary earlier about why she broke COVID lockdown, because he hasn't been anywhere for years. But they said all this time we've been out, you know, the American diplomats have been going all around the world, getting people to be on our side, and he didn't want to fall behind. Well, it's true. Uh, China takes COVID in their country very seriously. The vaccine they developed in their country is not nearly as effective as our own vaccine. And, uh, you know, the good news of being an autocratic nation is you get to do disciplined uh, national efforts like locking down an economy in the hopes that it, it burns away. The bad news is uh, you go all in on the a vaccine that you developed that doesn't quite work as well, uh, and you're subject to variants, what have you, and uh, repeats of lockdowns. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, germophobic uh, response, but a very rational one. It's one that President Putin shares, by the way. He has... He, he has those ridiculously long tables, if you ever see those in the media, when he meets with supporters or visitors. Uh, that's not by accident. He's also afraid of getting COVID himself. So what does Russia want from China, and what does China want from Russia? Sure. Well, there are, uh, in Uzbekistan, uh, as part of this uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, typically, uh, you know, when it's not a time of war, this group is, you know, a coordinating council that helps uh, China and Russia coordinate with the leaders of Central Asia what's basically going on in their respective territories. India, Pakistan, they're part of that. But right now, it's wartime. Uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine to try to uh, reincorporate those lands back into the quote-unquote Russian Empire. Uh, and, you know, Russia and China have spent the last 15 or so years building up a stronger and stronger partnership. Uh, they need to meet face-to-face -to, -face, uh, to talk about uh, recent developments I'm sure I would love to have been a fly in the wall on, <laughs> on that conversation. Yeah. Are there any cracks showing that, that have now, you know, obviously gotten to Vladimir Putin that he knows things are not going well? Because there was even this line that says, hey, you know, we understand China's questions and concerns, which, you know, we can flip it to the other side, which is China saying, uh, hey, guys, you know, we've been quasi supportive of whatever you're doing, or at least not going after you on it. Don't mess this up and make us look bad. Well, I mean. Nothing, nothing succeeds like success and nothing fails like failure. Uh, but yeah, this meeting in, in uh, Uzbekistan is of particular importance to Russia this year. So far, over the half the world uh, by GDP has denounced Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but half the world, of po world by population has not denounced Russia. And the two biggest nations by population, China and India, are in the CEO and their leaders in Uzbekistan now. It's a key goal for Russia to use the stage to sustain that status quo or even boost support, but that'll be very difficult given recent news. So now let's shift the focused, uh, focus to the White House. Uh, what does President Biden need to do to sort, sort of navigate these very interesting waters between Russia and China now? Well, 
I don't know that President Biden needs to do anything in particular when it comes to China and Russia. He needs to basically keep doing what he's been doing, maintain this, uh, the strong uh, coalition with our allies, keep support flooding into Ukraine, uh, military and financial, and let the Ukrainians do what the Ukrainians have been doing, uh, succeeding in the fight. Uh, you know, Russia always talks about creating facts on the ground as part of their strategy for entering into negotiations. Well, uh, President Zelensky is creating his own facts on the ground as uh, you know, military operations unfold successfully for him. Uh, his, uh, I think, important task at the moment is, uh, you know, not to get uh, too far over his skis and being elated by uh, Ukrainian successes, just make sure he consolidates it uh, and, you know, continues to fight. Joe Dressen, Senior Program Associates on Russia at the U.S. Uh, Wilson Center. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Could a vitamin a day keep the Alzheimer's away? A new study connected to the Alzheimer's Association finds taking a daily multivitamin might be associated with improved brain function in older adults. It found for people over 65, there was a 60% slowing of cognitive decline after three years of taking the multivitamin. With us now is Dr. Judy Paw, professor and co-director of the Alzheimer's Disease Cooperative Study at UC San Diego. Uh, doctor, thanks for being with us. What do you make of this study? Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a really interesting study to come out just this week, um, led by Dr. Laura Baker at Wake Forest. And this study here found um, in a comparison between a cocoa extract of 500 milligrams versus a multivitamin that's commercially available, that the multivitamin taken over three years improved cognitive function or maintained cognitive function in individuals with risk for Alzheimer's disease. And why do we think that would be? Or is it just a simple matter of, you know what, like everybody always said, you need your vitamins and minerals so you can be healthy. Yeah, it is fascinating to really think about the mechanisms in the brain, the body, the heart that may be contributing to these findings. As of now, those mechanisms are still being investigated, and I think it is partly to, to what you say regarding vitamins. Um, another really interesting aspect of this finding is that, and, and it speaks to, to one's health, is that these findings were most pronounced in individuals who have a history of cardiac disease or cardiovascular disease. And so anybody who's had a cardiac incident um, seemed to have more of a benefit than those individuals who did not have a history of any heart disease. So that may be a little bit of a, a sneak peek into why this multivitamin may have these beneficial effects. So let me ask you this then, because there are an awful lot of doctors, and, and I know some of them, and I'm sure you know some, uh, maybe even yourself, who tell patients, you're wasting your money buying vitamins. Uh, just get them from your normal you know, diet. Uh, why give these big companies money? They're not going to do you any, any good at all. This would seem to, to fly in the, in the face of that, which leads to, to this question. Since multivitamins are so benign, at least I think they are, and if, I, if I'm wrong about that, please let me know. Uh, it, why not just say to, to everybody, you know what, take a daily vitamin. It can't hurt, and it very well might help. Well, that's why this work is so important. There's such an interest among people to be able to take different types of supplements. We find all sorts of supplements being advertised in different ways. 
And there's not a lot of empirical evidence to suggest one supplement works better for disease A versus disease B. So that's why studies like this are so important to really put out the empirical evidence to, to people to show this may have some benefits in this type of outcome. In this specific outcome, it's cognition. And the finding with heart disease is fascinating because there's evidence that those who have a cardiac event may suffer from cognitive deficits in the future. And so, of course, for any individual, they should consult with their doctor and understand all the different types of medications that they're on and understand drug-drug interactions before um, changing their own um, um, daily prescriptions of medications and vitamins. But this is, this is why this type of work done in 2,000 individuals is really important to, to help us get a better understanding of what we should take and, and maybe what we shouldn't take or things that may be ineffective. Well, to that heart disease point, I mean, maybe those that crowd needs a supplementation more than, than some of the others. I think people wonder also, though, you know what, if I'm trying to get as much absorbed as I can, or maybe my body can only take so much in. Do I really need like the $55 a bottle horse pill that's at the health store? Or can I like get the CVS brand that has A, B, C, D, and zinc and four other things? And that's fine. Yeah, no, you're, you're starting to get at this, this dilemma in our field is all of these supplements. And can we take a brand version versus a generic version? And how do they differ? There's a lot involved in that. And and like I mentioned earlier, potential interactions between ingredients. So it's really important to look carefully at these things before taking them, especially because it really can hurt the pocketbook. So let me ask you this. Uh, did you take a multivitamin before? And if not, are you going to take one now because of this study? <laughs> you know, it's funny. In our, in our scientific circles, we talk about these things and think about these things. And results like this are compelling. It's over a three-year period, so that's something very important to keep in mind. Is these are not these are not fixes overnight. This is not a silver bullet that will you know take care of mom and dad immediately. But it does lend evidence to suggest, and even the authors themselves are very cautious in their paper of saying, well, let's let's we need to replicate these findings. We need to do them again in a larger cohort in individuals who are of racial and ethnic diversity because we want treatments that work for all. So. Given all of that and given the, the time duration, it is intriguing and it is something that we're thinking about more and more. And, and you know, for my for my own mother, it's something that I'm keeping a close eye on. Oh, but doctor, you almost dodged the question. With but not, the orange but juice not, this morning, not, did not you quite. take a vitamin? Right. <laughs> and if you don't take vitamins, are you now going to? Well, one factor to take, and not intending to dodge the bullet again, but one factor to take into account is one's own diet currently. So if they're eating a very um, diet, you know, a healthy diet with leafy greens and these types of vitamins already, there is the notion that what we could become saturated and the vitamins may or may not help. So it's really up to the individual based on their own diet. My diet specifically um, tends to be a bit diverse. And what I would like to do is understand, well, what is in this multivitamin? And what is my daily di daily diet and counts look like? And will I be gaining anything from that? And there have is a you, bit of literature out there. Have you ever considered a career in politics? Be <laughs> 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 very good. Yeah, Dr. Judy Pa, professor and co-director of the Alzheimer's Cooperative at UC San Diego. <laughs> How is Hollywood and the entertainment business going to react now to the death of Queen Elizabeth? There have been so many documentaries and shows about her and the royal family over the years, including, of course, uh, The Crown. Did you watch? The Crown? Have you watched? Oh, yeah. yeah. Of yeah. course. I feel like everyone 
well, has I mean, watched. I mean, it, it, there's just look. There's been this wealth of material uh, for movies, satires, comedies, serious dramas. Looking at her her past, her pre- you know, but it does raise some interesting questions whether or not there's going to be that same fascination now that a guy is king of the UK. Yeah, because as you were saying that there, it was her past, her present, her future, her, her, her. Yeah. It's not necessarily them. And I think that's one of the differences, and and we're hoping to talk with a a publicist and a media expert about this in just a couple minutes here. But, you know, there's a lot of people in this country who love the royal family, and they can name all of them, but there's a lot of people who just know the queen or knew the queen and over there you know those are their people so all of them get way more coverage than they do here so unless you're a huge royalist on this side of the world maybe that interest does start to drop off there's an interesting piece too in the new york times today about how you know the line that we now have is three guys three male monarchs sure three kings and the piece is wondering was there something about her and is this now going to be different when you have three men who are coming. Well, and the other thing, and we talked about this earlier in the week, I think, is that, uh, you know, the thing about Queen Elizabeth is that she was really a cipher, right? Nobody knew really what she, not the public anyway, knew what she thought pretty much about anything. And that was great if you're a screenwriter, right? Because you could you could make her into anything. You can invent all the dialogue. You can, you can invest her with emotions that maybe she did or didn't have because nobody could really contradict you and say, no, that's not what Queen Elizabeth is really like. You know, it's funny. In some of the interviews afterwards, when they were asking people about her, everyone's like put their own thoughts into her too. Like, sure. oh, I know that she thought this. I, yeah. I, I liked her for this reason. No one had any no, idea. But, but we, can... we do have, um, we have Sandra Minetti with us, oh. a, a royal expert. And he's uh, with the the Queen's Charity in America here, Royal Society of of St. George. And and Sandra, thanks for for popping in. We're talking about if if we think things are going to be different now, especially with all these Hollywood depictions of the royals. And with her gone, with the Queen gone, is that interest going to sustain in in King Charles and, and the rest of the line? Look, the royal family is the greatest soap opera in history. So, of course, it is going to sustain. And talking about your other point about those imagined conversations, I think we... Screenwriter who's done this best is Peter Morgan. Uh, you probably know him as the showrunner of The Crown, uh, but he also wrote uh, The Queen, starring uh, Helen Mirren, and he also wrote the hit London play The Audience um, about the Queen's meeting with uh, prime ministers. Now, of course, he wasn't in the room for any of these things, but what he does is he takes uh, the, the facts um, and then um, the historical you know knowledge that that he has and takes his best guess. And he's done as much as anyone to uh, to shape people's opinions of the Queen over the last 20 years, I would say. But doesn't it get really, to continue that, that point, tricky with King Charles? Because unlike his mother, he has been, look, you know, he's 70, what, two or 73. Uh, he's had a, a pretty full adult life in public. He's very controversial, uh, has made many, many comments throughout the years on a variety of topics. You know, the environment is only one, but but many, many more. Doesn't that make it more of a challenge? Because we kind of know him more than we knew his mother. Well, yes. Um, there was an excellent play a few years ago, which has got turned into a TV movie, which you can watch on Amazon. It's called King Charles III. And that was imagining the first 100 days of King Charles III's reign. And in this dramatization, it turns out to be a political disaster for the new king because he can't stay out of politics. His opinions, which he said that he would keep to himself, you know, he, he just can't give that up. 
and it leads to a constitutional crisis, and that's a, that's a huge drama. And yes, you are correct, because the Queen, no one knew her opinion or anything. Charles has been outspoken for, for years. Um, and so, you know, will he be uh, the big spokesperson on climate change, you know, or is Greta Thunberg going to have a rival? Uh, he's a gift to <laughs> dramatists because he's so opinionated. There was, I mentioned an article earlier about the New York Times. There was another one floating around, too, about how she looked iconic. I mean, the outfits, the pop of color, the hats, and, and like, especially when she was 70s, 80s, and 90s, like, oh, this, this sweet old lady wearing these fabulous clothes. I mean, she kind of lent herself to being printed on everything from postcards to, like, fine china, though, too. That was That was special. Well, iconic. She was on the stamps, you know. I mean, every British person has licked the back of her head several times. <laughs> <laughs> but, but does that carry over to, a, to you know, like we said before, a guy in a business suit? Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be so interesting um, what carries over and what happens now. And these incredibly uh, momentous and moving scenes that you're seeing from Britain at the moment also show a lack of confusion among British people because we haven't known anything else. We thought, well, she was what made Britain great uh, for, for a lot of us. And, and what do we do do now? I mean, we're not rudderless. We have the new king, but uh, it's so uh, she was such a constant, so, so steady. And whether it's for the public, whether for dramatists, what we face now after so much certainty is the great unknown. It's nerve wracking, but it's also kind of exciting. The, uh, the you know, quasi politics question now, do we expect a worldwide tour from him, the king, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all the islands to try and hold all this together? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was always planned. Um, you, you've heard a lot about Operation London Bridge, uh, which is the uh, the code name for what happens when the Queen dies and King Charles takes over. And in that was always, um, you know, a, a trip to at least uh, fifteen countries uh, in, in the Commonwealth uh, within the, the first few few months. Um, just this week, you know, he's been on tour to all corners of the, of the UK. So uh, yes, and as we're seeing, there's a uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, historical problems to, to, to patch up, a lot of relationships to build, uh, lots of threats to the, the, the Commonwealth. So even though he's not a politician, uh, you know, he's, he's got to deal with a lot of politics in his interest. Sandra Manetti, royal expert and journalist, trustee of the Queen's Charity in America. You know, I'm stuck on, on what he said before about because the Queen's face is on postage stamps that more people Licked flick the back, of her. the back of her head than any human being in the history of the planet. I mean, it's I hadn't thought about it. I've that heard way. from a number of people saying I have to order some pounds so I can get the notes or the coins with her on it. Oh, yeah. Before you know, they go out before of circulation. They change. Sure. Yeah. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Imagine working at the same place for 44 years. Now imagine listening to your radio, hearing the same voice on your favorite station for 44 years. Yeah, it's a rarity, but one man in the middle of Iowa has done it and keeps on doing it. Pat Powers is the news voice of KQWC Radio. That's in Webster City. He's seen it all. He's done it all, having interviewed numerous politicians, authors, entertainers over the decades. Pat is in uh, a Midwest, he is a Midwest news legend, and he is with us now. Mr. Powers, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, And if I wore a hat, my hat would be off to you. (laughs) Because how do you do it? You know, we live in 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 a culture now 
where people, you know, if they have a job for like three years, they get restless well, yeah, and they want to move 44 on. 44 months is eternity yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, <right. laughs> in this field sometimes. Yeah, but, but 40, how have you done it? And you're still doing it after 44 so, years. Charles and, and Mike, it is so thrilling to speak with you this afternoon on cool, nifty, and exciting KNX Radio. There you go, the initials right there. I've started this back in <laughs> 1978. And just last month, I had my 44th anniversary for the radio station. Didn't do too much. I was on vacation at the time. But uh, I've been blessed to uh, be here for this so long. I, I'm from this area. I live in a town called Duncan, Iowa, which is to the west. Grew up in my parents' homes. That I have the home, as a matter of fact, and drive to Webster City five days a week. Well, seven, there are about if I have some other activities. But I've been so Blessed to work here at KQWCF for all these many years. Was this always something you wanted to do, broadcasting, radio? Yes, yes, it was. It was something I I wanted to follow my father's footsteps um, as he was a farmer. And I was allergic to uh, uh, corn dust. And I was sicker than a dog when that that happened to me in my younger years, about 55 years or so ago. And I also had asthma at one time. So I, I could not help out my father in any way, shape, or form at that. So I decided, well, I'm going to try this radio thing, and this radio thing has been very good to me for these last 44 years. Are you the only one on the station doing news? Because I'm curious, what happens when you take, you mentioned you were on vacation at one point. What happens when you're on vacation? Or I presume every now and then you may get, get ill and, and can't uh, uh, you know, talk on the air. Who, who does it when you're not there? We have the sports director do it. He's doing a magnificent job. Quinn Douglas just started with us about a year or so ago. Awesome job. So wait a minute. So, to, a, to a volleyball game tonight in uh, the town of uh, Jefferson. Now, now tell the truth, Pat. When when he's doing it, do you kind of like look over your shoulder and go, "Oh, he's he's too good." He's doing. He's doing. <laughs> he's no Pat Powers. No, <laughs> couldn't be. Couldn't what be. what was it like? Then versus now. I mean, do you remember the equipment that was around when you started? Because now we've got Twitter, and you're on Twitter all the time. Yes, I am. Also on Facebook, too, and Instagram, and as well as LinkedIn. So I have the major, the the fab four when it comes to social media as well. But you're right. I've seen so many changes. When I started here back in 1978, we had a record player, two turntables, and people are wondering, what in the world is this? That's we played records off there. We had reel-to-reel tape at the time, and we have card machines, which is like putting in your uh, those eight-track uh, tapes that we had many times ago. But these uh, cards ran uh, about 30, 60 seconds for our commercials and actualities, which we used. Pat, there's so much that has been written and talked about in recent years about how polarized this country has become. I am curious about how covering the news in Iowa City, Iowa, has changed, and I presume it has, in the decades that you've been sort of standing guard. Well, if I can correct you for a moment, I'm in Webster City. Iowa City is out to the east of us. But uh, you're right. We've seen so much change uh, going on. I mean, I, I give equal time to all sides. A lot of Democrats and Republicans, I have uh, excellent relationships, and I have a program on each time called the Community Corner. Matter of fact, just the other day, I did an interview with uh, our Republican uh, House Representative Randy Feenstra talking about 
of the train strike that has been averted and also a situation when it comes to agriculture. And now we have a big election coming up here in Iowa this uh, fall for the U.S. Senate. Uh, one candidate that's, my name comes to me for just a moment, Franken, Mike Franken, who's a Democrat. He's a, he was with the Navy. He's facing longtime U.S. Senator Charles Grassley. And he's been in politics, gentlemen, for 63 years. When I was born, <laughs> he, was, um, he was in the Iowa House. And then he became, uh, he went on to the state Senate, I believe. Also, he went to the House of Representatives. And then he's been senator for these uh, 40 plus years, 88 years of age. So since he has you beat in terms of just years on a job, are you going yeah. for that? No, I'll, I mean, here in radio? Yeah. I, I, well, if the day ever comes that uh, Chick-fil-A and uh, Hobby Lobby and a store chain we call Fairway open the doors on Sundays... They're all closed on Sundays. I, I, that's, I will retire. That's the sign. Yeah. <laughs> Chick-fil-A's open on Sundays. Or but, if, you can, if you can buy a car on Sunday, if, if that happens, I'll retire. But but, you but know, you've I, never had I, the... very good hands. But you've never had the desire, Pat, to, to just kind of say, you know what, I, I've done this, and I've done a really good job for all these years uh, here in, and I'll get this right, Webster City, Iowa. Bingo. There we go. Uh, you never thought, you know, maybe it's time to move on. Never have, never have. I love it here. I have been. I've had the pleasure to work with about uh, eight or nine general managers, seven owners of this station, believe it or not, and they all seem to like what I do. But I'm I'm very blessed to just come here every day, put on the news each morning, and uh, just report with the listeners. Anyone in radio right now is like, he made it through how many G? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. have this idea in my head that like everybody in town knows you. Am I right at this or, or wrong? Like, yeah, oh, Pat right. came to this event or like Pat interviewed yeah. me or I saw Pat today. Like, yeah. is it that kind of a thing? Yeah. I love going to the schools here, but I tell you, gentlemen, uh, with all the COVID that's been going on, I was a volunteer uh, for reading to the kids and just having a good time. I even was um, worked as MC for the Webster City High School prom a couple of years ago, introducing the couples and visiting with the high school students. I time to go to the ball games when I can, but uh, hopefully things are going to get better. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious too, because I've been following you for quite some time actually on, on Twitter and social media, and uh, you always seem... So happy, so uh, happy. Yeah, no well, matter, no you. matter, no matter what always you're a doing. Smile. And like always, a, a tie or a bow tie if it's like a work day too. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you do it? Because I know there are a lot of days when I'm not that happy. <laughs> <laughs> I make the best way I can. Yes, the news is gloomy, but hey, we can pull through these things. I have this positive attitude inside of me to do what I do each day, and always I try to. Uh, with someone's spirits as best as, as I can. And I, I've learned that through some very good friends of mine through the years. Is there a big story or a couple big ones? I mean, 44 years is a long time, but like people always ask you this, I'm sure. So what sticks out? The ice storm of Halloween 1991. And uh, it happened that Halloween night, we had freezing rain uh, coming down in Webster City that night. And then about 24 hours later, Poof, there goes the lights. What are we going to do? Well, thank goodness to a generator out here at the radio station, 
this station kept on the air. We were on almost constantly during this uh, massive power outage that gripped around North Central Iowa. We were doing news. We even had musical requests, talked to people on the air, put them on the phone. And we also had our uh, mayor and city council officials and uh, from Hamilton County on there to bring people up to date the things they need to know on when the power is coming back on. Well, after about uh, three days, uh, we had our electricity back on. But in the rural sections, gentlemen, it never came back on until about midweek at that time. People were cold and uh, temperatures in the well below freezing. Uh, I would say in the single numbers, too, if I, if I remember correctly, going back some 31 years when that all happened. What would you tell uh, youngsters who are interested in media? And, and, and I think, sadly, a lot of them are not gravitating toward radio. Uh, they want television. They want to do podcasts, that sort of thing. What would you tell them about radio? It's a marvelous media. It, you tell the story. You pique their imagination, in a way, about what happens each and every day. And I think we have some great journalism schools here in the country today to get them into radio, TV. Just tell the story. Get excited. That's what I do each day. And and I know that KNX has been doing it for a long time, and you're now 101 years of age. Started back in we are. <laughs> and there are days And there are days, Pat, when Mike and I feel like we've been here for the entire time. <laughs> and you're doing a marvelous job. So, so are you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Pat Powers. Hey, Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure, and 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 the best of luck to you, and and keep on keeping on. I will do that, Charles, and and everyone. So thank you so very much uh, to that, Mike. I appreciate Mike and Charles. Pat Powers, forty-four years there, KQWC Radio, Webster City, Iowa. What a great guy! Makes me want to live in Webster City, Iowa. <laughs> let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go visit Pat. <laughs> I know Pat. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, that's in depth for the day. We'll be back tomorrow.